When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode uh, is one of the true characters and true legends of WA sport. Uh, captain of the Australian cricket side, uh, most notably, uh, at a pretty extraordinary time uh, in cricket, domestically and internationally. There was a lot going on. World Series cricket, Rebel Tours of South Africa... Uh, an incredibly dominant West Indian side, uh, and what a job it would have been uh, to captain Australia uh, during that period of Australian cricket. Uh, so many things to get through in the next hour or so, so let's say hello and welcome to none other than Kimberly John Hughes. Hello, Kim. How are you? I'm very, very well indeed, Tim. I'm not too sure about the sponsor, Bower and O'Day. I'm not too <laughs> sure I want to use their services on there. I'm sure they're very good Look, for they're, hopefully they're, they're a long, good. long while. It's good to be prepared, Kim. <laughs> yeah, OK. I know prior proper preparation prevents something poor performance. But I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, great to be here. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your health, Kim, because recently um, yeah. you revealed that you'd uh, you'd been sober now for many, many weeks since uh, towards the end of last year. Just yeah. before, I don't want to dwell too much on it because there's no. so many other things to get through. But can you give us an update? How are you travelling? Yeah, going really, really well. Look, it's the best thing that, that I've done. And I was going through the, the, down the wrong path. Mm. Uh, and then through uh, my son Bradley and Wayne Clark and a few others, uh, had a good look. And sometimes you need a real... You know, and I'm old-fashioned and that, and, um, you know, it was a dear Dorothy Dixer, and I then, uh, you know, went into Abbotsford rehab for a couple of weeks. What was that like? What are you doing there? Um, look, it, it was the best thing that I've done. It was a real eye-opener for me. I'm now 67, so I was, you know, well, 66, 67, and what I came out of it was that I don't want to go back there again, but yep. the other thing was... The number of youngsters, yeah. uh, particularly young girls, that because it was for addictions of all things, not just right. alcohol, but for drugs and yep. whatever. Um, and uh, look, it is, uh, you know, it's a real challenge for our society, especially the young ones, because I was very, very fortunate. I've had tremendous support, whether it's the Mount Lawley Golf Club or the Mount Angling Club or family, that when I got out of there, I had that support network. But for a lot of these youngsters, male and particularly for the young females, um, when they get out, their support, in not all cases, but a lot was going to be pretty bleak. You know, maybe they didn't have a job left. Um, maybe they'd sort of burnt their family bridges. They weren't playing maybe any organised sport. And I'm not, not talking elite sport, but just an environment. Something. Something. So they go out there and what are they left with, Tim? Mm -hmm. uh, and all of a sudden it's pretty easy for those other people. They're going to say, look, why don't you have a bit of this or why don't we go and knock this off or whatever it is. So it, it is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. And it was an eye-opener for me uh, to see so many youngsters uh, and especially the young girls that have really got – they were safer in there than mm -hmm. they were outside mm -hmm. because it was going to be a real challenge and there were going to be, you know... Temptations around Temptations, them. that's yeah. the right word, Tim. Was it hard? Uh, no, I found it was pretty easy. Uh, well, when I say easy, uh, it was the best thing that's that, that's happened to me and you couldn't leave that for, for only two weeks and I had lots of people coming to see me, uh, which was uh, tremendous. But... Uh, you know, I, I suppose as, as I passed cricket a long, long while ago, I, I was used to being away from the family for months on end. Mm. And I have a bit of a chuckle when I hear players complain who get paid millions, um, you, you know, of their situation. But uh, I think I mentioned off air 
that as a West Australian in the test team, we would spend three months at least away from home during our summer. That you'd play all the Shield games and that then you'd play the test matches. You might come home for a month or so. And, and I really needed a break. I'm not one of these blokes that could keep going, keep going. Otherwise, I just needed to get away and you'd watch the footy for a while and then all of a sudden there's another tour coming up and you'd get back back on the train again. But to go in day in and day out, you... It requires a special sort of personality, and I don't think I would have cut the mustard. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear you going well anyway. Yeah. Look, as your golf game improves. Uh, well, hopefully today. <laughs> I'm out there. It's a shotgun start, and we all play for dollars and cents. And it's one of the great things about the Australian <laughs> attitude. We all come in within a 10- or 15-minute period, and you're playing for your dollar bets and $2 bets and all the the BS that goes on with a bunch of blokes. It <laughs> is fantastic, and it's been one of the... The real um, godsends for my recovery, and uh, you know, I thank to God that to God that I'm I'm a member of the Mount Lawley Golf Club. Yep, good people to have around you. Yeah. Uh, from the now, let's go right back to the very beginning. Born in Margaret River. Yes. Uh, the first child. Yeah. The in first the family. Dad yes. was a school teacher. That's right. Born on Australia Day, and I do say at some of my talks, that's why we have Australia Day. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a very very that vivid imagination. <laughs> Um, but I got asthma very badly as a as a littley, right? And then so Dad, um, being a headmaster, um, every three years he sort of got a promotion, and we went out to Ongar up and Balladu, and every town we went to, Mum and Dad had another child. Thank God we only went to five <laughs> schools, <laughs> and then from there went to Pinjarra. Not much to do in these little towns, uh, obviously. Well, well, there was plenty to do, but also <laughs> some other things to do, and. Uh, yeah, and then from Pinjarra, I was at their grades uh, uh, two, three, and four, and then up to Geraldton in grades five, six, and seven. And then we moved down to Floriot Park. Yeah. And uh, I went to City Beach High School. So yeah. I've been in Perth since I've been about 13. Uh, prior to the move down here, though, yeah. you, you started to to get noticed and recognised as a promising young cricketer in Geraldton, right? Yes. Uh, you know, playing with kids who are many years Older than you, yeah. Was that was that the first time you sort of thought, um, "Well, I've actually got a, a, a talent here that can be nurtured." You've certainly done some research. I there, have, Kim, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> my attitude was, if you didn't play sport, you went to the library. Yeah. And in those days, the libraries the library. and librarians weren't too flash. Now, <laughs> hopefully, there's no ex-librarians out there thinking, but things have improved since then. But I played in the under sixteen competition. Um, for Bluff Point and yeah. um, our former Premier, uh, Gallup. Jeff Gallup. Jeff Gallup was yeah. the captain. Yeah. And I played on Malfoyd. Yeah. yeah. Malfoyd, yeah, is the <laughs> captain uh, on Malfoyd, which was a tra- tremendous surface. Yeah. Um, because it's very true. And if I had my way coaching youngsters, I mean, turf can be very good, Tim, if it's, if it's flat and true. But sometimes it's not. But on Malfoyd, providing there was no bubbles, it was nice and true. I had good. I was blessed with God-given mm. eye-hand coordination, um, and I had a passion for it. I came down with the Geraldton Districts Under 16 Country Week side, and it was my first visit down to Perth. And we stayed somewhere in East Perth there in a in a travel lodge or something mm. like that. And uh, I can still remember a fellow called Gary Rodwell. Isn't it amazing how you still remember some name? And he was a large, large large-ish guy. And he would drink that much Coke and that many burgers and all that sort of thing. And I just have the old ham, cheese and tomato toasted Sanger. <laughs> and we played out at, uh, out at Hale School. Yeah. Uh, and it was my first sort of uh, experience on turf. And the wickets out there were absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, they were great. They were yeah. great days. Good and, times. you know, I hit a ball on a string. I'd read a book on how to play cricket by Sir Donald Bradman. Um, and you just mixed in with your mates. And my brother, Glenn... Uh, so we had myself and then Don, and Don wasn't in the cricket or footy, uh, but played tennis and hockey, and and you played all those sorts of sports. Otherwise, as I said, you went to the library. You went nuts. I, I wasn't keen on that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those other sports you were also pretty gifted at, weren't you? I mean, tennis, you mentioned hockey. Yeah. Um, you Footy. Footy. Played at footy. I, your dad played for Subiaco. Yes, he did. And um, at what point did you think, oh, cricket, you know, cricket's got to be my focus? Well, dad played less than 50 games. And I was yeah. a bit dirty on him for, yeah. that he's no longer with us. But uh, and my hero was Austin Robertson Jr. Yeah. Yep. And Subi were blink and hopeless in those days. 
Uh, but if you'd played 50 games, you could have father and son. Yeah. And I lived in Floriot. I played at Floriot under, actually, Ross Glendinning's father, Angus. Right. Glendinning. And FP, Floriot Park, meant for front position. And I always <laughs> remember it, Mr Glendinning. He was a wonderful man. But I won... The, uh, the under-18 medal in the Claremont district. And for that, I got a $1,000 um, scholarship yeah. uh, from Dennis McInerney. no small amount well, that was in a, those days. truckload. Yeah. I was only 17, and I bought a car, yeah. uh, a blue Hillman Supermix. <laughs> and it had one of those flick-out indicators on the side, oh, I don't know, yes. whatever it is, and that would get me to... Greylands, that's Teachers Training College, not Mental Hospital, although sometimes people would begin to wonder. Um, I, I, I was born to teach. You, you know, I wanted to be like my father and teach. Um, and I played footy at Claremont because of the scholarship. So I was very fortunate. I played, actually, my first year at Teachers Training College, Tim, I broke my C2 vertebra, mm. uh, which is called the hangman's vertebra. Mm. Normally you're dead. In an accident at college by a fellow called Rod Elmer, who I played cricket against, um, we said something about one another's girlfriends, and because this is a nice radio station, I won't say what we said. But he flipped me over by the legs on the other side, broke my neck, and someone else, Alan White, might have been pulled me up by the arm. I walked out of the old rec room, went outside, and they lay me down and put a pillow underneath my neck. They tried to kill me three times. I spent three or four months in rehab at Shenton Park with a brace up over with weights on it, um, and fortunately break men's very quickly rather nerve damage. And I, I played footy back again in four or five months, uh, but couldn't run out of sight in a month of Sundays. And I I won the medal as a midfielder. I could kick by, I was a natural left foot, footer, but could kick both feet. Uh, but they played me at full forward and I was about a foot too short for that. And I, <laughs> I remember going past the bloke in seconds, went to dodge him and he hit me in the guts. I nearly crippled over. <laughs> and I wasn't interested in doing pre-season training. So I thought, yeah. well, I love my footy. Um, and in those days, Tim, it was just starting to come into, you had to make your mind up, mm. you know, one way or the other. And uh, I even had it when I was director of cricket uh, at Hale School, mm. maybe the only way I could get into a private school. <laughs> but um, there was a boy there who was very talented at both cricket and football. And some of those that have got gifts can play a winter or summer sport. They're just natural. He, yep. he was a good athlete. And anyway, the uh, the cricket side of things was saying, look, you need to get into pre-season training and all that sort of palaver. And this was in June or July. So I had a chat with him and his father and I said, listen, you're at a private school. Your dad's paying a lot of money. The idea of being in a private school is you play your sport and if you're good enough, you're going to make it later on. And and, and I, I think that too much pressure is put on youngsters at, at too an early age. Yeah. And I just think, you know, if it is to be, you know, you, you're going to make it. Um, and I'm a great believer in that. And I even think with the AFL, I think they have their drafting mm. years too early. And to send an 18-year-old, I mean, yes, you do get a Glenn Jakovic or a Chris Judd or some of the real exceptions. And mm. maybe you could have five or six exceptions a year in the whole in the whole AFL. But the others should be staying at home, playing in the SANFL, the, F, the, the Waffle, um, and like a Matthew Prittis. Now, he didn't get into the AFL mm. of West Coast until he was 23 and, and won a Brownlow. Mm. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to be like Matthew, but you don't need 18-year-olds on the other side of Australia playing in the Magoos, the twos, and wanting to be at home, no matter how good the foster parents are and that sort of I think it's criminal. Yeah. Having said that, it all came fairly... Suddenly and early for you, didn't it? Well, maybe not suddenly, but it all started to happen at quite a young age for you too, didn't it? Yes, it did. Look, I was only 16 when I got in the state squad. Yeah. And a great mentor of mine, Des Hall, who's a fantastic bloke, um, Des thinks that I should have played shield cricket a lot earlier than I did. I got a game when I was about 21 or 22. And I still remember, Tim, I'd finished my teacher's training college um, three years. And um, you what, know, were you, what were you going to teach, by the way? Oh, primary school. Yeah. yeah, I was only ever going to be a primary school teacher, <laughs> and I couldn't give a rip about doing all the lessons. You know, I was born to teach. I just yeah. wanted—I got A for outstanding teaching mark. You know, you would have had to, to take the kids junior, to the library at junior point, primary <laughs> method. No, I did. mate. How on earth we ever got through college? I don't know. But all I was looking for was a C. Yeah, <laughs> that was not a C plus, just a C. Just get there. Just get there, and it was going to happen. Were they going to going to send me to the bush? And at that stage, 
Western Australia had done an, an Eastern States tour and uh, I think it was Ross Edwards' son hadn't scored a run, you know, and I still, I'd had three games as 12th man. And in those days, you, you, if you played shield cricket, you missed the next week of your club cricket. So I didn't play cricket for seven weeks. I was sitting mm. around like a stale bottle. And anyway, uh, I got an opportunity to go to uh, South Australia, where which I did at the, and I went over there, had my 21st birthday in South Australia. And so Donald Bradman Gave me a call and wished me happy birthday, and I've How got a letter. That? Yeah, wow, it's like God. Do you remember? Oh, remember yeah. the entire conversation? Well, I, I, at another stage when I was having some challenges as a captain, uh, I asked for his advice, and he invited me around to his place to have dinner right? with he and Lady Bradman. Yeah, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, don't swear, don't do this, don't burp, don't <laughs> do that, no, no, I'm like, you're going to meet God. Yeah, and I'd like to say it was the most pleasant. Experience, but but you were just on tender hooks because yeah. of his Tense. aura. Yeah. So I, I remember sitting at the at the dinner table with Sir Donald and Lady Bradman. What did he put on for dinner? Just uh, uh, I, I can't really bloody remember. That was irrelevant. That was going <laughs> my whatever Jesse Bradman cooked. I was yeah. going to say it was fantastic yeah. because I'm a country boy. Eat what's put in front of you. I don't get any sweets. Yeah. So, um, but I remember. Look, I was having some challenges with a. One in particular, dominant person, <laughs> who's a great mate of mine now in Dennis. Yeah. And it was a, a great lesson. I didn't realise then it was a great lesson for me was he told me a story. Not a bullshit story, but a story. Yeah. And he said um, in after the war and after the Bodyline series, well and truly after that, they were playing in England. And Nugget Miller, who was a free spirit, you know, one of our greatest Australians, uh, was starting to bowl some bounces to one of the Edriches in a county game. And so Donald came up and said, mate, no more of that. Well, that was like, you know, waving mm. a red rag to a bull. And Nugget said, well, you know, so anyhow, we bowled a few more in the next over or something. So anyway, uh, so Donald took him off. The, you know, no more bowling in the county match. Anyway, they came to Lords, a pretty significant place, <laughs> yeah. a, a home of cricket. And so Donald threw the ball to Nugget. And Nugget said, I've got a bad back. In other words, up yours. Yeah. Didn't bowl. Anyway, Australia had to tour, um, you know, South Africa after that. Well, guess who didn't get picked? Mm. Uh, Nugget Miller. Mm. Now, it was a great lesson, but I wasn't Sir Donald Bradman. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, I always remember going there, and I've still got a, a, a letter that he, he wrote me. Brilliant. Uh, which is very, very special. Yeah. 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 So great, great memories. That's a great yeah. memory. And on that note, let's take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Kim Hughes is our special guest. Plenty more to come right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Good shot, a fine shot, and a great hundred. That you'll see a lot of hundreds in Test cricket, but you won't see too many gutsier ones than that. Nine for 198. Kim Hughes a level 100, and there haven't been too many innings for teams where a player has dominated so much. 100 out of 198. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories, widely regarded as one of the greatest test innings of all time. And the man who scored those runs uh, is our guest in this episode, Kim Hughes. Kim, I'm sure you don't mind hearing a bit of that again. Uh, mate, uh, have you got five hours for me to tell you all about it, Tim? <laughs> Was it 198 balls? Talk us through uh, every one look, of them. Look, uh, <laughs> it does. It still sends shivers yeah. through my body. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, uh, Wisden, I think, ranked it as the ninth best innings ever played in Test cricket. The absolute you Bible know. of cricket. Yes. But, I, mean, um, let's, I mean, let's go through this in, in, in a little bit of detail. I know there's yeah. other stuff to talk about as well, but Australia were, what, three for eight? It's, it's Boxing Day Test. Yeah. Michael Holding, Joel Garner, you know, that extraordinary... Crofty, Andy Roberts, yeah. just a couple Andy of Roberts. scrubbers. Yeah. And the wicket was a shocker. Yeah. Ian Johnson was the curator, and it was like talking to a brick wall to Jono, because we used to... When they watered it at the end of a game, there were puddles everywhere, like little islands, and it just yeah. wasn't even. And the, the worst surface to face good quick bowling 
is on a wicket that's up and down. And, yeah. and we were we were three for eight and then five for 30 or 40. Whatever it is, it mm. doesn't matter. And um, I think because of my, you know, my coaching through Frank Parry was more mental than, yeah. than anything else. And there's a great saying that fortune favours the brave. Yeah. But you've got to have the gahoolies yeah. to decide to do it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to stay here for a while, I may as well try and play a few shots. Well, you did too. I mean, some of the yeah. shots were extravagant, weren't well, they? Well, the, the thing was, because we were born and bred on the whacker, where yeah. you never played on the front foot, not unless you wanted to keep your head on your shoulder. So you could yeah. play well off the back foot. And I, I think that me starting to play a few shots, the West Indies maybe lost a little bit of control or whatever. And... Uh, you know, as I said, fortune favours the brave. But I can still remember, Tim and your listeners, that we were nine down for, mm. I don't know, about 170 or something like that. Terry Alderman was yeah, well, there, wasn't well, it? Well, yeah. well, well, Terry wasn't a rabbit. He was a ferret, which <laughs> someone said to me the other day was something that goes in after the rabbits. That's how good Terry was as a batsman. So anyway, I did the usual thing. I met the incoming batsman, Terry. I said, good luck. And as I turned back, I said, you're going to bloody need it anyway, Terry. You know, so out we go, thinking that he'll get knocked over first ball. Well, as it turned out, Terry and I put on about 25 or 30, of which he might have got two or three. It doesn't matter. Um, and it's one of those things where I'm sure your listeners can relate to. It might be in footy where... You know, with five minutes to go before three-quarter time, you might be five goals behind, but you kick a couple of goals, so you come into the, you know, into the into the you know into the huddle and sort of think, well, you know, boys, we're on a roll here, sort of. So we'd we'd turn very average into something. Mm. We only had about an hour to go, um, and there wasn't a huge crowd, but there was the MCG and the great Dennis Lilly. Um, and they had, uh, they, they normally had Greenwich and Haynes, two of the best openers, yep. opening combination of all time, yep. with Langer and Hayden, all those sorts of champions. And anyway, one of the great openers was injured. They had a fellow called Fayud Bacchus, who was what I called a cosmetic cricketer. Smelt good, looked good, but not too much ticker, if you get my drip. So anyway, Dennis knocked him over early. And out came Crofty as the night watchman, because Viv was batting at three or four. Uh, might have been anyway. Out came Crofty, so we said to Dennis, "Look, get into this. You know, he's been bouncing us all day and all that sort of thing." So, but as Crofty went past the bat, I said, "Good luck, Mister Croft. Hope you're all right. Family's good." Da 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 da. Anyway, uh, Dennis knocked him over, and out came Smoke and Joe. Yeah, you know everything you'd love to be five foot eleven, built like bloody Adonis. Yeah. You know, chewing the gum, pumping his handle of the bat. You know, and you think, you know when. Um, Australians see someone that looks a bit above themselves. You're thinking, I won't say it on the radio, but it arrives with tanker. So anyway, uh, and we're all in the slips. You know, Dennis is by the last over. Now, I know psychologically you'd be thinking, well, hit it to me, hit it to me. But if Greg Chappell said, who wants to be third man, there would have been six of us because you're thinking, whatever you do, don't nick it to me. Nick it to Marshy, he never drops it. Nick it to Greg Chappell, he never drops it. But for God's sake, don't nick it to me. Because, you know, if you nick it, he nicks it and you drop it. And as it turned out, the very last ball of the day, I mean... And and Viv saw it so early and just sashayed across, got an inside edge onto the dollies. Yeah. You know, and we got them and they were then three or four for not many, but we all rush off the ground and Rod Marsh is trying to kiss people. That's an ugly look with a big moustache that he's got. We all raced up into the rooms and, you know, such were the days. And we were staying at the travel lodge just up the road and uh, we all had a few drinks. We thought, Jesus, we're... Now, Tim, in the end, uh, we won the game. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Yardley, I think, uh, long may he rest his soul. He got four or five for in the second innings. And possibly it's one of the very, very, very few times that the West Indies have been beaten with yeah. that great side when the conditions suited them. I, yeah. I know they've been spun out, but not when the wicket suited them. It, it was possibly, well, I, I think the greatest win that I've ever played in. Yeah. Irrespective of my innings, but it was just, and, and it's a memory that I will always hold. Yeah. Well, yeah. Happy to play the audio and, and oh, keep and playing it. I just, just keep doing it. Take a every lane again. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. Uh, your uh, passage into the, the the test team. Do do you feel in hindsight that you got there too young, too early? Were you ready uh, for that oh. kind of stage? I mean, it was an extraordinary time in cricket. You mentioned the West Indians uh, at the time were just yeah almost unbeatable. Well, what well, they were, but I, I was ready. You yep. know, I'd played in the great West Australian side. Yep. 
uh, seven of the 11 playing for Australia came from Western Australia, the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. And we allowed a few scrubbers called Greg Chappell and uh, Tomo and <laughs> Alan Border maybe to, to fill out the numbers, just like <laughs> New South Wales used to do. Yeah. So, And in those days, Tim, um, you know, all your test players were playing Shield, Shield cricket. cricket. Yep. So there were some, apart from the West Indies, you know, if you had to face in Shield Cricket, Michael Holding was playing down in Tasmania, Imran mm. Khan was playing in New South Wales, plus all the other Australian bowlers, and you'd go into the test scene and you'd facing bustling Bobby Willis, and you thought, mm. geez, I've got to play this a bit more. <laughs> you know, it was tough competitive cricket, so there was not a big jump. Yep. There certainly was when you played the West Indies. Um, but no, I was uh, ready. I was 12th man in my first game on Boxing Day test match. And uh, I uh, took the well. Uh, Jeff Thompson had injured his shoulder when he ha- had an accident with Alan Turner. Yep. So I came in as twelfth man, came on as twelfth man, relieving fielding, and then dived myself into the ground and injured my shoulder to come off. <laughs> it was what a great debut as twelfth man. Do you remember the G? Do you remember your first Test innings well? Yes. Oh, well, it was fleeting. It was in 1977, and it wasn't a happy tour. I didn't know anything about World Series cricket. Um, I thought I should have got a game a lot earlier. I'd scored a number of 90s in county cricket prior to the test uh, match, uh, test matches, and it was the last test match, fifth or sixth test match at uh, at the Oval, and I got a game with Mick Malone. Yep. Uh, and um, I got a good-looking duck. <laughs> and, and as long it, as it was stylish. Oh, well, you know, and uh, I think someone caught me at a bat pad off uh, maybe Underwood and Alan Knott was wicket-keeping. And uh, so that was my – it was an inauspicious debut. But Mick, uh, he bowled unchanged for two sessions and got 20 or 30 runs. So he was absolutely brilliant. Never played again, but a fantastic competitor and a great West Australian. Before we get on to your time as the, the captain, can we talk about World Series cricket? Because, yeah. as I mentioned, it was – a crazy time for cricket, tumultuous. wasn't it? Yep, tumultuous. What yep. are your What are your memories of that, which was so controversial at the time? What are your yeah. reflections on it now? Well, I was one of those not invited, if you like. There was mm. only three of us on that tour of of England, and I only found out about it when we came back. I had no idea. You know, I was only just making my way. And from my point of view, and I was asked a couple of times by certain people, would you be interested? Yep. Now, I can remember, Tim, if I'd gone home to my parents and said, look, I'm going to go and play for this bloke for money, Yeah. they would have looked at me and said, look, we didn't bring you up like did, that. Did you know who Kerry Packer was then? Well, I knew he was wealthy. Yeah. That was about it. I <laughs> yeah. didn't know Kerry Packer from, from Adam. It, it, um, it wasn't him that called you then? No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no it was one of his underlings. One Everybody his, was an underling. His, his many well, minions. Well, yeah. uh, many. And um, and I thought to myself, I thought, well, geez, if the best 14 players are going, I'm a fair chance to get picked. Yeah. And, and was it attractive to you at the time? Or? No, 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 because I didn't play cricket, never did play cricket for money. Mm. You, you know, I played because I wanted to be the West Australian hat or the baggy green, and, and, and that was it. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm fair chance of getting picked for Australia now if those blokes go. Mm. Um, and in hindsight... It was the the best thing that's happened for Australian cricket because cricketers got paid an absolute pittance. It mm. was disgraceful, mm. and, and, you know, got paid nothing. Um, and uh, and it's because of what Kerry Packer did for cricket with taking it into the professional environment, if you if you like. And it was a start of cricketers getting paid, male cricketers, I should add, getting paid, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of money. So they've got a lot to be thankful. For um, and taking us into a into a different era mm. uh, because we played. Uh, I can remember. I think it was might have been Dennis and how it started. Uh, and I think I'm correct here was that Dennis was having Austin Robertson Jr. as his manager or procurer, whatever you like to. And he had invited uh, Strop and um, and his mate down. Um, and uh, to watch the centenary test, 1977, they had an average crowd of 60, 70, 80,000 people for five days. Australia won by 23, the same uh, amount they won 100 years beforehand, Tim. And I think Dennis... What are the chances, though? Yeah, (laughs) Dennis's take-home pay was $100 for the five days. It was something absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't playing, but Hooksy, I was 12th man in New Zealand... And came back, and then David Hooks had got his 500s in a row or whatever, so he came into the team. So I didn't play in in that, and then World Series cricket happened. But, I mean, they got paid an absolute, well, mm. a, a pittance. Yeah. 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 You know. 
we'll talk about the captaincy right after we take a break. That was, uh, again, another tumultuous period. And and, uh, uh, of your 28 tests uh, in charge of the Australian team, uh, Kim, 20 you had to play away from home. As I yeah. understand, which is which is pretty tough. But we're getting to that right after we take a break. This is inspiring stories. Kim Hughes is our special guest. Back with more right after this. You're listening to inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Kim Hughes. Kim, captain of the Australian cricket team. It, I mean, after the Prime Minister, it's about the most recognisable position in the country, isn't it? it well, it is. Um, it is our national sport. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different football codes, uh, but it is, uh, apart from our Prime Minister, the Australian cricket captain. Um, and I'm not being biased here because I've, I have been one. But it is. It, yeah. it is our national sport, yeah. played in all states. And how did you go with that when it, when it was first placed upon your shoulders? Well, I, I, can, remember, a lot. I, I can remember <laughs> I'd captained, I think, North Perth, uh, yeah. you know, as a 21-year-old, um, a couple of games. And then I went down to City Building Society as the loans manager. That was interesting. And I thought when somebody <laughs> rang up about bridging finance, they wanted to bring to build bridges. And I thought, Jesus, mate, I don't think they're going to build too many bridges. And yes, you may laugh, but I went on the Captain Australia. But anyway, um, I was vice captain of the Australian side in World Series cricket days. Graham yep. Gallup was the captain. And Rodney Malcolm Hogg, who is living over here now in Western Australia, he's seen the light. Um, and uh, finally, and and lights are on, but no one's home. Certain time for hogging. <laughs> you, you know, you've got to be a bit mad to be a quick bowler. It's a brutal environment. So anyway, Hoggy had the irrits. It was we had a drinks break and that sort of thing. And Hoggy had the irrits with Graham Yellup. He was maybe breathing. And Hoggy said to Graham, he said, "Right, you now at the back of the Adelaide Oval, I'll punch your head in or something like." That. I thought, Jesus, mate, if he does that, I'm then the captain. You know, so. Uh, Anyway, uh, I thought, God. Um, and then we came to uh, Western Australia against Pakistan, and I was vice captain. Um, no, I was made captain. That's yep. right. And uh, Andrew Hilditch was the vice captain. And I did my ankle, you know, throwing some cricket balls to one of my mates in the nets or something like that. And we beat Pakistan, and they had Imran Khan and Zahira Bass and yep. Asifik Ball, all that sort of thing. So then I was made captain. At the age of 25, the second youngest person who ever done that, to go to India. Yeah. Now, I spent 11 weeks in India. We, we had uh, Bob Merriman, who was the, uh, from, um, uh, from Geelong, who was involved in the Victorian uh, committee there. And uh, we had a bloke who sort of rode on the lawnmower things, doing lawn mowing, and Frank Hennessy, and he was sort of the, the masseuse. And that, that was our support staff yeah. for 11 weeks. It was the greatest education that I've ever been. Now, I've always had a positive attitude because I think Frankie, even if made a duck, he said it was the best made duck of all time. <laughs> you know, I always felt like a winner. Yeah. And um, you cannot consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with how you perceive yourself. And if you perceive yourself as a winner and doing good things, guess what? The good things will eventually come your break. you just got to hang in there long enough. And uh, I've got the record that most number of runs ever scored in India by an Australian, and mm. that's when they had their own umpires. Mm. And I have a bit of laugh with footballers talking about home ground advantages. Now, you know, you're playing at, um, you know, at uh, Madras or in whatever, in, you know, um, other parts yeah. of big, big cities. Chennai. Oh, Chennai. Yeah, well, Calcutta, Chennai is whatever. Madras, yeah. Calcutta, yeah. Bombay. Mumbai Stadium, and, uh, you know, when you've got 70,000, 80,000 people appeal, yeah. the 11 Indian umpires, uh, you know, fieldsmen, <laughs> and the two Indian umpires appealed, you're in for a pretty tough you're day. For that and and I can understand why but you would support the home side. But uh, I went there with a positive attitude. Um, you didn't have any support. You got on with the job, um, and I survived and did really, really well in India. I remember one day of the press conference, Tim, you know, I can sit here all day. I've never written a book, but maybe some of these stories, you know. And I was sitting in a wicker chair. Yeah. Uh, very English. Yeah. You know, a lot of the days in those days, because I think they gained their independence in 54. Yep. And they have celebrate their national day on our Australia Day as well, I think. 
And anyway, there was another on, wicker on chair. Kim Day. Yeah, on yeah. Kim Hughes Day. That's yeah. very, very good. <laughs> there was a wicker chair next to me, and there must have been 100 blokes. They've got 2,000 daily newspapers. That was back then. Yeah. Um, and they're all sitting in there and answering questions. All of a sudden, this bloke starts asking question after question after question. So I'm thinking, yeah, well, I'll answer that. You know. So after a while, I just said, well, mate, um, which paper or... Who are you from? And he said, oh, no, 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 I, I, I sports fan. He just came in off the street. Yeah. He just came in off the street, <laughs> sat down next to me, and all the others just sat there and listened. He just took over the whole thing. Brilliant. I could tell you that many stories about India. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the greatest education of all is travel. Yeah. And until you leave Australia's shores, and it is difficult now, you don't realise how lucky we are to be in Australia, but particularly Western Australia. Mm. Mm. And my attitude is, if you don't like it, live somewhere else. Mm. Quite happy to give you an open clearance. There you go. And don't come back. That's your one-way green card. Well, mate, if you don't like it, God, we've got yeah. sunshine, fresh air, fresh water. You can get a job if you want to get a job. You can. Your kids go to school. You do this, you do that. The world is your oyster. What more do you want? You need a job in the tourism bureau. Yeah, well, I tell you, I'm a great believer in the benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> I hear what you say, but this is what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. You were, I suppose as people sort of uh, reflect on your, your batting style, um, using your feet... Uh, getting to, advancing down the wicket, getting to the yeah. to the ball is one of your sort of trademark traits. Yep. Was that something that you really developed in that time in India, having to play yes. a lot of spin on spinning wickets? On in really India? turning wickets. Yeah. Um, and it was. And I think, it, again, it gets back to Frankie. You know, I always thought the wicket keeper was wasting his time because I wasn't going to miss it. Yeah. That wasn't me being a drop kick. That was just me being positive. Why yeah. would I miss the thing? Yeah. And he... You know, he just taught me some lessons. You know, your head's the rudder, your body's the ship. Do you get very often? Very Have few. Yeah. Very, 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 very few times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was the odd one, but, you know, sometimes... <laughs> but, um, and he built the game around my strengths. And I think that's important. Um, you know, and I see some players batting today and I can solve their issues in about 30 seconds. Mm. Um, just because you have the title of coach, it doesn't mean you can coach. Um and I'm not going to mention any names, but Frank built the game around my strengths. Um, and I think it's one of the, you know, I was very, very fortunate to have somebody like him. And I was yeah. an excitable sort of a person. And I, I learned maybe later in my career, I used to get excited, you know, and some sort of, you, you, you know, I remember Rod Marsh and John Inverity and maybe Ian Brashaw brought me in earlier on when I was getting out at 30 and 40, you, you know, they said, look, listen here, Knuckle, you know, you've got to bat there for four hours. You know, we want you to bat for four hours, you know, not bloody 40 minutes or something. I said, yeah, yeah, because after four hours, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be 100. So that went on for about half an hour. Now, I can't see 30 in front of me, but now I'm going, yep, yep, yep. So anyway, they said, now, how many are you going to be after four hours? I said, 400. I walked out the door. I thought, what an idiot. <laughs> but what I did learn was just out of reach, not out of sight. Yeah. And, you know, I learned this later through somebody else, is that everybody panics. The key is to panic last mm. in elite sport. Everybody, you know, gets a bit edgy. So what I learnt in the end is to have a SHIT bin mm. for SHIT thoughts. Mm. So if I got to 35 and I'm starting to think, geez, I should have put that ball away for four or hit that for that and I missed out there or whatever, what I've got to think of, I'm five. Mm. Now, I could see 10 mm. just out of reach, but 100 was a long way away. And then you get back on track again and you get back into the rhythm because – no one would ever go from zero to 100 always in rhythm. There are little hiccups, you know, little trenches where you go. It's how you get out of that. And, and I learned that that bin is very important. Everybody panics in elite, but the key is to panic last. The bowler panics, the batsman panics, but as long as you think, oh, well, I knew I was going to put it in the bin. Mm. Put it in the bin. Get back focused. I'm on 27, get to 10, and then you get back into the, into the groove again. Sounds pretty simple. Yeah. Simple philosophy. Yeah. Hit the ball. Watch ball, hit it. Footy, they've got it, we've got it. Get it's the in ball. dispute. The rest is a load of shit. Over yeah, I've said it. Over oh, oh, mate, honestly, get rid of half the coaches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honest, it's a simple game. Bowl top of off stump. Yeah. 
It, it is, you know, the great players... <laughs> You're put, doing a lot of people out of jobs here. Well, <laughs> mate, honestly, it's they're simple games. Yeah. And the blokes that play... And the women... Sorry about the, you know, um, I didn't mean to be disrespectful. The men and the women that do it well master the basics. Yeah. Watch it, hit it, and be positive. They yeah. were my basics. And mm. if I taught any kids or any coaches, that's it. Watch it, mm. hit it, and have fun. Be positive. You know, you're not just staying in. What are you going to do with it? That positivity was tested, though, wasn't it, when you were captain? You resigned yeah. the captaincy after to 28-odd tests. You had, you know, there were personality clashes. Yeah. Challenging time. Uh, to be successful uh, yeah. on the international stage. Um, did that positivity leave you for a little bit? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I, I had no more petrol left in the tank. Yep. We played the West Indies 10 or 15 test matches in a row and they were in their pomp. The great Alan Jeans, who my business partner, no longer with us, Ken Judge, uh, had a great quote from him saying, I, I don't expect you to like me, but I do expect you to respect the position I hold. And I was captain. Uh, whether it's not a political thing where you go around pick me, pick me, me. The cricket board says, look, you're the captain, that's it. End of story. And, um, you know, it, it was challenging times. I've never written a book. I've never wanted to, but I will do something for my children so they know who the fossil, that's my nickname <laughs> with my four children and my grandchildren. No, 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 Petrol to give. Uh, Jenny and I, we had three boys under three. Yeah. You know, little Bradley was, a, when I say a mistake, we'd had twins, Simon and Sean, and then the Ginge Bradley came along, and we didn't have any money. It wasn't as if you get a maid and a this and a that, to, you know, and fly your wife around here, there. Mate, she was, uh, it was challenging. Doing it tough. It, yeah. Yep. It, it was challenging times. And my coach had always said, the day you're no longer having fun, in whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're picking mm. up rubbish or whatever, give it away. And I, I had I had no more petrol left in the tank. I, yep. I was buggered. Uh, uh, people obviously uh, remember the emotion in, yeah. that, in that press conference. Uh, had it been building to that point or was it just in that moment when you were delivering the news, it all just came flooding out? I, I think it was the night before, you know, I thought, I'm not having any fun here, Yeah, you, you know, and I think, you know, because of my challenge with alcohol and the mental side of things, blokes do keep things to themselves. And, yep. you know, when I'd come home from work to Jenny when I was at home, um, she'd say, how was work? Guess what a bloke says? Oh, I'm all right. Yeah. You good. know, and you go off to your room or, you know, there wasn't anybody I could share that with or, or didn't want to. Sorry, that's the wrong, not wanted to, you know. Um, I didn't want to burn. Jenny was busy looking after three little roosters. Um, so it builds up on you and then being, and I'd sort of planned it. I thought, well, we lose this game and, um, you know, but I'd still, and I can remember going up into my study at City Beach in uh, Drabble Road, um, thinking, well, what am I going to do for next year? And I thought, I'll get into aerobics, I'll do this, I'll do that, Pilates, I don't know, whatever they call those names then, um, and get fit. Aerobics, because, uh, yeah, mate, you know, me and leotards, that mind boggles. Knocking out um, a few grapevines. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I was only 31. Yeah. And you look at today, 31, um, you know, David Hussey and uh, Justin Langer and these blokes, uh, Matthew Hayden, started their careers, international careers at 29, 30, you know, and you keep yourself pretty fit. You can play until you're 37, 38. I wasn't bowling at all, thank God. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, but anyway, it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll leave it there for the time being. Let's take another break. After that, I want to ask you just uh, another extraordinary chapter in cricket then was, of course, uh, Rebel Tours of, of South Africa. We'll touch on that briefly and then wrap things up. Kim Hughes is our special guest, back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our special guest is uh, Kim Hughes. Uh, Kim, the Rebel Tour of South Africa, another extraordinary time for Australian cricket. Yeah. And, and rebellion in the ranks. Uh, was too much made of it, do you think, at the time? Obviously, it was, you know, cricket then became part of mm. the yeah. political discussion. 
Well, it did. Look, I, I captained the side that went to England in 81. Yes. And, um, you know, that was Botham's Ashes series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> I happened to be captain of some of the greatest performances ever by an individual. Lord, and now Sir, and now the, um, the, the, the Minister for Trade between England and Australia, both. Anyway, um, but what had happened was there was a, a group of players that were going to, um, to South Africa. Yep. And uh, I wasn't one of them. I wasn't involved in any of the discussions. I only found out about it. And I was asked a couple of times, and this mm. was after they'd picked the team to go to England in 85, I think, 85, something like that. And um, I wasn't picked in that tour. And that's when I decided to go down on my study or up in my study and, you know, train and work hard and all that. So in 85, I was 31, not 41. Yep. So anyway, uh, but what happened was Tim is that I think it was Tony Gregg was asked by a certain gentleman to say, look, we need to pick three or four of those blokes, uh, you know, <clears throat> that are going to South Africa to come back and play for Australia. Yep. The, the amount of money to get to go to South Africa was $200,000 after tax. Mm. Everybody got paid the same, didn't matter if you're mm-hmm. captain or whatever it is. I'd said no twice. And anyway, those blokes were pulled out of going to South Africa and came back on the English tour. And I remember ringing up Alan Border and Jeff Lawson as the senior players in the thing. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he said, mate, you can't have these blokes. I mean, you're going to go to England for whatever it was, 20%, 30% of what these blokes were getting, and they were not going to be out of pocket, mm. the blokes that came back. Mm. Not the blokes' fault at all, but anyway, you can't have that because you've got two sets of payments. Anyway, Cricket Australia and their wisdom said, no, they're coming back. So I thought, well, if that's what you think the ashes are worth, well, you can stick it up your nostril. Mm. So I was the last person to go to South Africa, and I'm absolutely wrapped that I went because yep. if at that stage, Tim... That, that our farmers weren't selling wheat or other, other crops or whatever. We weren't dealing with South Africa, but fine, by all means. But they were. And I had, had a, a trade, happened to be cricket. Yep. And when you think about it, 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 there's two things I could get rid of. One would be politics in the, and the other one would be religion. Yep. Because the genocides that are caused by both is just diabolical. Yep. And if there's two things you want to promote is music and sport. And through sport and music, but particularly our sport, cricket, it kept cricket alive in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And we've seen what's happened in the rugby, which was predominantly an Afrikaans, a white, use that language, sport in South mm-hmm. Africa. Now they've had an African that uh, led them to a World Cup victory in 98 or whenever it happened to be. And they just played the Springboks play this other day. And they've got an African gentleman that is the captain of the Springboks. So sport does a lot to mm. break down those barriers. And uh, I'm very, very proud we went because it kept fellas like Clive Rice and uh, whew, McKenzie and Henry Fotheringham and Jimmy Cook and these sorts of blokes, uh, Graham Pollock, um, alive and playing and allowed others like John T. Rhodes and Corey Von Zyl and these sorts of blokes, Hansi Cronier, to come in as youngsters and play. And uh, it's one of the great tragedies yep. now that the ICC, well, they're about as useless as the Olympic uh, corporate, they do absolutely jack, and I mean uh, the ICC, the International Cricket Council, for God's sake. So, I mean cricket in South Africa is really desperate. They yeah. they do not yeah. have a sponsor you, at all. You mentioned um, religion and politics. Yeah, there in uh, in in teeing off there. Yeah, um, two pretty important influential figures at the time had some words to say about you for going on that South African tour, didn't you? Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Oh, yeah. Uh, called you a hypocrite. Bob Hawke, PM at the time, called you a comforter of racists. Oh, how, well, how, how deeply did that cut at the time? Well, I tell you, I did a, I think it was a 60-minute program. Yeah. And, and this is what television can do to you. I, yeah. I learned a good lesson. Yeah. The 60 minutes were with me for two or three days. Yep. And did me some, I did some talks, I did this, did the interviews, that sort of thing. Not once did I even know that Bishop Tutu was going to be talking. Yeah, right. So what they did was then they got Bishop Tutu, because they already had the story written. You know, 60 Minutes had, this is what we want to portray. And that's what happens in the media. Now, I am a part of the media, I know. And also they planted him in there and cut out, edited, whatever it is, and guess what? Now, I learned from that, if you're going to do something that is very, very newsworthy, do it live. Mm. But then you've got to be good. Mm. Then you've got to be mm. very, very good because it cuts out the bullshit. Mm. And they had already done the story. 
they said, okay, well, we need this bit there to colour that that's already coloured in. Mm. No. Okay. Yeah, no. And Bob Hawke, well, I was a fan of Bob Hawke, but uh, I thought the way that he treated his wife, Hazel, was pretty average. Yeah. And um, so anyway, you, you know, but if you've got a principle, have a principle. So I suppose all these years on, what I'm reading from this is absolutely zero regrets. Yeah, look, yep. there, there are some things that, you know, it cost me my drinking, cost me my marriage. Yeah. And I can still, I can take you back to City Beach High School and see where uh, uh, Jenny was, uh, lovers at first sight. And, uh, you know, uh, I took her out for dinner last night. We're still very, very good friends, thank goodness. And our four children are great friends and all our grand. You know, this year uh, we'll have four tr- grandchildren born. Brilliant. And maybe one today. For Simon's wife, Verity. Wow. Yeah, today. And our daughter, Claire, had one. You better let you go there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I'm leaving that all to Jenny. No, no, I'm helping the grandsons out. But we've got kids going everywhere. You wouldn't be dead for quids, Tim. Well, you know, you you had to make a an emergency dash home from uh, Melbourne to see yeah. uh, your twins when they were born. So I don't want to have a similar situation here, Kim. Oh, God, no. Just no. lastly, though, I mean, yep. apart from, you know, playing a lot of golf, and, uh, and getting yep. your life uh, back on track. Yep. What else are you doing to pass the time? I know you've done corporate speaking, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Are, are you still doing that? And, and what do people yeah. get from you? What stories do you mostly well, share with them? I'm looking at wanting to be an ambassador. That's up to them for MH or MH Connect, Mental Health yep. uh, Connect, through Richard Manass and, and Adrian and, and, that, and under the corporation called Richmond. I have a passion for people. Now, yes, you can teach kids in the classroom, uh, but the age of 67, I've got an empathy that been there, done that, uh, and was a dill, an idiot, whatever you like, but, but getting through. And there are lots of men out there that have issues, and it's our generation, if you like, it's not men who say, man, I'm struggling, mm. and, and I'd like to be able to do something like that. And it doesn't have to be for older blokes, but for younger, I, I'm passionate about it. Um, so I'm excited about what's in front of me and, um, you know, I can't wait. Every morning I wake up and think who I'm going to meet and if I can be an inspiration to people, yeah. um, well, I'm excited. I've got four fantastic children and uh, I've got about 25 grandchildren. I don't know, they're coming out left, right and centre here, Tim. I don't know what they're doing in this COVID break. <laughs> bit like growing up in a tiny country town, I suppose. Well, it is. I mean, I can't wait for Christmas. There'll be that many grandchildren everywhere. You know, but anyway, it's, yeah. you wouldn't be dead for quit. And can I give you one more assignment? Yeah. Please write a book. Because there's too many of these stories to get through in in five hours, let alone the one hour that we've had yeah. uh, today. So please write a book, okay. and don't let anyone censor it. No, no, it won't be. But uh, you know, I'm a proud Australian, and uh, I just get a bit frustrated with people that think you know. And if you don't like it, go somewhere exactly. else. Plenty we'll of other give books you on the shelf. You can write. And don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe a job with the tourism yeah, people yeah. as well. Kim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing some of your many, many stories. I appreciate it. And all the best with the future. Beautiful. Uh, with yeah. the golf, with the grandkids, yep. with the book that I've yeah. just given you the task of writing. Exactly. Uh, and and even perhaps more importantly than that, you know, staying on the straight and narrow as well. Good so, on. Thanks very much for inviting me in, Tim. Thank it's you. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6BR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.